Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar who kind of stopped reading their homework assignments, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert with powers of helping, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we are here today to talk about Help, the fourth episode of season seven. Help aired on October 15th, 2002, and was written by Rebecca Rand Kirshner and directed by Rick Rosenthal. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full-spectrum Buffy podcast, so if you haven't seen all of the show, go take care of that and we'll try so hard to help. We'll see paranormal where there's just normal. (laughs) The other day after class, I jumped him in the parking lot and I slammed his stupid ass insecure face right into the pavement. Okay, so let's go on patrol. In Help, Buffy, Xander, and Dawn hide out in a funeral home to anticipate the vampirism of a woman who died with unusual cuts and contusions on her neck. Buffy's nervous about starting her new job at the school, but not so nervous she can't dust this lady as soon as she turns. The next day at work, Buffy talks to troubled kids and bored kids, and then this one kid, a 16-year-old girl named Cassie, whose problem feels kind of like a lot for the first day on the job. Because next Friday I'm going to die. While Buffy blinks and tries to figure out how to respond to that, the kid warns her about spilling something on her shirt and takes off. Buffy talks to Principal Wood about it. He graciously endures some mild racism and tells her that there's just not much they can do. Buffy, who's kind of jazzed about the idea of preventing a death, spills coffee on her shirt and stains it. She goes to Dawn and recruits her to help. In the library, Dawn interrupts a boy named Mike, trying to get Cassie to go to the winter formal with him, and then befriends Cassie over talk of homework and boys. At home, Buffy, Willow, and Xander research Cassie, finding a bunch of death poetry on her blog. Willow says that's pretty normal, and while Dawn likes Mike for the perp, they find some disturbing information about Cassie's dad. Oh, drunk and disorderly. Disturbing the peace. Her dad's a drunk. A violent drunk? Xander and Buffy go to the dad's house and basically accuse him of beating his daughter. In a shocking turn of events, he gets really mad and yells at them. When they find out he won't be seeing her this Friday, they leave the house, and Cassie walks up to them to tell them that her dad isn't what kills her. They ask if she's planning to kill herself. She says no. She wants to live. She wants to go to the dance. She wants to grow up and release her fat phobia and realize that her cousins are doing the best they can and that if they do get fat, it will not be the absolute indictment of their character that she has been led to believe it is by a culture that makes billions through a weight loss industry fueled by lies and deliberately encoded shame. Anyway, Cassie's going to die and she doesn't want to. I just know it's going to happen. I don't know why and I don't know how, but something out there is going to kill me. We cut to a bunch of boys in robes in the school performing some kind of ritual and lighting images of Cassie on fire. So, okay. At work, Buffy stares at Cassie's blog, reading her death poetry, trying to figure out a way to save her. Eventually, she goes down to the basement to find out if Spike knows anything. She asks if there's evil in the basement, and he says, yes, he's a bad man. He cries as he says he hurt the girl and punches himself in the face. She asks him what he did, but it turns out he's talking about what he did to Buffy. She asks about Cassie, but Spike says he doesn't know anything. She leaves him there alone. Let him hurt the girl. Upstairs, while Principal Wood searches lockers, Buffy bumps into Mike and interrogates him about any anger issues he might be having from Cassie rejecting him. He seems okay with it. He might even ask Dawn to the dance if Cassie really won't go with him. Buffy gets offended that Dawn is his second choice, but then gets distracted when a bunch of coins fall out of a kid's locker. Cassie's death poetry mentioned coins. She pulls the kid in for a discussion, and he kind of confesses. I guess I know who you're talking about. She's some weirdo suicidal poet girl. These guys I know want to mess with her. They've got this plan. After school, Dawn tries to walk Cassie home, and Cassie says she knows what's going on. Buffy asks Dawn to pretend to be Cassie's friend. Dawn confesses and says she really wants to be Cassie's friend. A jerk named Peter distracts Dawn for a minute, and when Dawn turns around, Cassie's not there anymore. Later that night in the school library, Peter and his buddies sit in robes with candles, ready to sacrifice Cassie in order to get rich. And in the middle of the ritual, Buffy steps up and takes off her robe and kicks Peter around a bit, mocking him for failing to raise the demon. Except he did. The demon attacks, Buffy fights, and Peter still tries to sacrifice Cassie, but then Spike comes in with a burning torch. Here to help, no hurting the girl. 
Buffy takes the torch and lights the demon on fire while Spike attacks Peter, paying for every punch with his own pain. The boys run away. Spike unties Cassie and removes the duct tape from her mouth. And Cassie says, She'll tell you. Someday she'll tell you. Buffy tends to Cassie as Peter crawls to the demon, demanding his infinite riches. The demon bites him and Buffy leaves him bleeding on the floor, which is appropriate. Spike runs off and Buffy takes Cassie out, where a booby-trapped arrow almost gets Cassie. But Buffy catches it and snaps it in half. See? You can make a difference. Cassie sweetly tells Buffy that she will make a difference, and then collapses to the ground, dead from what we discover is an undiagnosed heart condition. Later, Buffy, Dawn, Xander, and Willow sit in the summer's living room, pondering the pointlessness of it all. Cassie was going to die no matter what Buffy did. Buffy says Cassie was special, and Buffy failed her. Dawn says no, Buffy listened, and she tried. But sometimes you can't help. So what do you do, Buffy asks, when you know that maybe, no matter what you do, you can't help? Next, we see Buffy arrive at work the next day, ready to listen and try again. All right, Noelle, so here we are. Season seven is ramping up and we're in Help, which is, I think, an interesting episode, but I want to know what you think about it. I love, love, love Cassie so much. I love Azura Mm -hmm. Sky. She's a delight. Cassie is so wonderful. I'm with her almost every step of the way, but I find the movements of everyone around her to be kind of infuriating. All right. I am not going to ask you to elaborate on that right now because you are going to talk about that in depth in a little bit. So I'm going to hold that off because there's some (laughs) awesome stuff that you have to say about that. Um, I like this episode. I've always liked this episode. Um, And I think mostly it's the ending. Like, I like that Buffy failed. I like that she decides what the success state is, that it is saving Cassie, and she is going to do it no matter what. Um, And then she can't. She can't stop things that are going to happen anyway, and you see her kind of dealing with that. Um, And I can understand why you'd find a lot of this episode infuriating. Again, I'm really looking forward to that talk. Um, But I like the big movements of this episode and how it seems to firmly know what it's doing and where it's going, not just in the episode, but in the season and with reference to both what has already happened in Buffy and what's going to happen in Buffy. So possibly a lot of my love for this episode may be informed by my love of the overall narrative. Um, But I want to get started talking about your impressions and what it was about this that kind kind of set you back. Well, it's an interesting story in just in the context of the whole show in that Mm -hmm. we're talking a lot about death and dying, which for a show where there's a lot of death, I mean, we don't really do, right? Like the episode opens in a funeral home, which is a space we see surprisingly infrequently on a show that deals with death just about every week. But it doesn't though, does it? Like it has death in it. Does it deal with it? Aside from the body, do we actually really deal with death a lot? I think we did a little bit in Lie to Me. Yeah, well, we do. And I mean, I guess that's what I'm getting at with this episode yeah, I is think that that's we're kind it. of dealing mm-hmm. with death by not dealing with it. Right. Like death, mm-hmm. I guess what I mean when I say the show deals with death a lot is that death and dying is the threat always. Yes. You know, it's not yes. that it's not that someone is going to be kidnapped or possessed against their will or you know I mean sometimes Mm -hmm. it is but most of the time it's somebody's gonna die or a lot of people are gonna die and that's the big you know Mm -hmm. that that's the big threat but we don't talk about dying hardly ever Mm -hmm. um but here we are in a funeral home yes when Buffy dusts the vampire in her casket and closes the lid, she makes a joke about closed caskets being more tasteful, which is a pointedly judgmental way to open an episode that's about death and dying, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. wanting to view or spend time with the dead body of a loved one is a deeply human desire and an important part of death practices around the world. And the mm-hmm. idea that any death practice should be tasteful or not speaks to the taboos in many places, including the United States, around even thinking about death and dying. Mm-hmm. The scene in the funeral home feels like a 
potent thesis statement for the episode. Xander, mm-hmm. Buffy, and Dawn hiding in caskets is funny because they're very much alive and able to crawl out again, almost cartoonishly. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't know how I feel about the joke about a child-sized casket with a child-proof lock on it. That is a dark joke. It's a dark. That is a super dark joke. Super taboo-busting joke in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways that just kind of gets, we just sort of slide on past it. And I I mean, (laughs) I don't want to dig too deep into that joke specifically because I think it. I mean, I think it supports what we're doing and not doing with death here because we close the casket lid on the former body now pile of vampire dust with a judgmental comment about death practices that acknowledge the body of the deceased, which feels especially meaningful since we've heard the funeral director tell his colleague that he did a good job preparing the body for viewing Mm -hmm. the same scene that portrays death as not that serious with our Scoobies climbing out of caskets mm-hmm. also portrays death as so terribly serious that we can't even look at it, that we have to end mm-hmm. the scene by closing the casket. It's really, really interesting and meaningful that this is where we start, given that the episode revolves around Cassie's imminent death and Buffy's mm-hmm. determination to help by stopping it. But there are a few more nods to attitudes and practices around death in the United States in this episode that I want to touch on briefly. Um, yeah. Willow mm-hmm. visiting Tara's grave happens oh, yeah. in this episode. And the student who comes to see Buffy and is afraid that his brother, who has joined the Marines, won't come back. Mm-hmm. I love the parallels between these two mini stories. The student doesn't want to talk to his brother about his fears. I love that actor, by the way. I yeah. I wish I had mm-hmm. learned his name um, before <laughs> we recorded because he does such a wonderful job um, with that mm-hmm. repeated, I don't want to talk to him. You know, I don't want to talk yeah. about it. He doesn't want to talk about it at all. Um, right. And then on the other side, we have Willow talking to Tara at the cemetery. Mm-hmm. Sim- just to just because we need a little bit more parallel between these two, we have Tara right. dies as a result of a gunshot wound, and someone in the armed mm-hmm. forces who doesn't come back is likely to have been shot. Yeah. It's a really nice little nod to the inevitability of death, but also the these similar these similar but very different stories. That are just mm-hmm. kind of woven into this narrative about this girl who's going to die. But overall, for an episode that seems to be trying to say something about the inevitability of death, mm-hmm. the tone seems unnecessarily negative and off. Like, it's mm-hmm. ultimately about Buffy, the counselor, wanting to help in the way that she, Buffy, deems helping, as opposed to what might actually be helpful for Cassie. Yeah. And I think that that's really like the most interesting thing is the idea that how are we defining the word help? Oh, yeah. Right. And I think that the the episode defines it, you know, as the same way that Buffy does. Like the episode seems to be firmly on Buffy's side that helping is only preventing this death, that if she does anything else, then she is not helping. She's actively not helping. And the thing is that one of the the more meaningful things that happened during this episode is this friendship between Dawn and Cassie, which happened because Buffy was trying to help, you know? Um, so I, I find that really interesting, especially in an episode that is titled, I mean, the title of the episode is not the inevitable death of Cassie. Right. It is help. Yeah. Right? How do you help? How is helping defined? I'm not sure that they ask the question of how helping. I mean, maybe they do at the end. I feel like the ending for me is what is what really pulls this episode together for me is the way that they talk about it in the end and the way that Buffy has to kind of redefine what her definition of help is. But it does feel a little weird in the actual episode itself. It doesn't seem like we're questioning what Buffy's definition is at all. Well, and it doesn't seem to me... I struggle with the end because it doesn't seem to me like Buffy has redefined her definition of helping. Mm -hmm. She seems it it feels to me like Buffy misses the point completely. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, Buffy. Like it really does. Right. It really feels uh-huh. to me like I I get so frustrated with Buffy in this episode because she concludes. I guess sometimes you can't help, or maybe it's Dawn who yes. concludes. Sometimes I guess sometimes you can't help. But the episode ends on this idea that sometimes you can't help, and. It's true that you can't rescue everyone from everything, Mm -hmm. but you can satisfy Mm -hmm. a need. Like, that's helping, too. And what Cassie Mm -hmm. seems to need more than anything is to be allowed to be sad and remember the future that she'll never have, to paraphrase Kierkegaard, Um, Mm -hmm. like the smartass I sometimes am. (laughs) I mean... With the exception of the anti-fat nonsense, Cassie's reflection on mm-hmm. the future she'll never have is really lovely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what would have helped in that moment? What if someone had said, I hear how sad you are? Instead of mm-hmm. telling Cassie that she needs to try harder or insisting that she has to tell them everything she knows about what's going to happen to her. Because mm-hmm. if you believe that Cassie is psychic, if you believe, if you truly believe she knows that she's going to die, why mm-hmm. would you assume she wasn't telling you everything she knew? She wants well, to Well, especially because she knows she doesn't want to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, I find it interesting because I feel like, and I don't know who said, I guess sometimes you can't help. And instead of stopping the recording and going and looking it up, what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow myself to say, I don't know. And everybody listening can yell at me and be like, it was Dawn. I I don't know. But I think that I I thought it was Buffy and that Dawn was the one who corrected her. And that's what I've always taken away is that Dawn says, you know, you didn't fail. You tried, you know, and because of you, she was my friend, you know, and that that has a value you know, yeah. in this. Um, and I really, I like that read. And so for me, when I feel like Buffy says that, then Dawn says what she says, and then Buffy reconsiders. And when we see her going back to work, I feel like she has redefined what it means to help, but I'm not sure. And everybody listening, I know there's a joy in yelling at the host when the host doesn't know something, you know, so (laughs) drink up my lovelies, go for it. Um, But what I really love about this, it always brings to mind for me the episode of Angel Epiphany, um, in which Angel says the the thing that is the reason why I did the Still Dead um, podcast, because of this one piece of philosophy, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. Yeah. Which I absolutely love and I think is such a powerful idea. Um, and so I I love that um, that sense of, you know, even if you can't stop something from happening, if you cannot rescue somebody, right, there are, what you do still matters, you know, mm-hmm. everything you do matters because of the moment in which it matters. Um, and it also brings to mind this, this uh, line from, you know, believe it or not, the MCU and Age of Ultron, which, you know, was written by Joss Whedon, I guess. So there's some connection there. <laughs> um, you know, Joss Whedon, for all of his problems, you know, has these moments where he'll write a line of dialogue that is really great. And I like this moment where Vision says, a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts, right? So we kind of get this moment here, you know, from Dawn, where she's saying she was my friend because of you. And the fact that Cassie died is sad, but it doesn't mean that Cassie's life didn't mean anything because it ended, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And there's this line that people use all the time that I absolutely hate. And it's, it's, don't be sad because it ended, be happy because it happened, right? Um, And I find that kind of toxically positive bullshit. Um, I think that you can be sad that someone has passed you should feel all of those feelings. Don't be told that you can't have your feelings. But at the same time, you can also, in a complex existence like you have, be grateful that you had the time with them that you had, you know? Um, So I don't care for that because we're demonizing the sadness, right? The sadness is part of this human experience. Absolutely feel it. Uh, But it's okay to be both sad and grateful at the same time. And we actually see Dawn model this for us at the end of the episode when, with tears streaming down her face, she says, she's grateful that she got to be friends with Cassie. Yeah. Yeah. Dawn is great in this episode. Yes. Well, I mean, Mm -hmm. we'll get there when we start talking about characterization, but Dawn is just fantastic. Um, Dawn's fucking awesome. Yeah. And I am fully with you on the, you know, telling somebody not to be sad because something ended or someone died is 
I mean, it's ridiculous. And it speaks to how uncomfortable we are with death in general. Um, Mm -hmm. And as we're talking about Cassie specifically, it just flickered through my mind that there's also a narrative here about the tragedy, the extra tragedy of the dead girl being a conventionally attractive, conventionally attractive, that's messed up, a, um, you know, a, a skinny, beautiful young white girl. Like there's this, yeah, there's this narrative that like the young woman who dies before she graduates high school is so, I don't know, the, the dead young girl trope that's so connected to a particular kind of beauty, a particular kind of whiteness, a particular kind of, she mm-hmm. had so much potential in a very like ableist way. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have this in my notes, but it, it is clearly it's clearly part of the tragedy that we are meant to read into cassie's narrative as well um well yeah but there's also this like beautiful obsession with the dead young white girl you know i mean let's edgar Allan poe is the first thing that comes to mind is this kind of fetishization of she died before she could make the horrible offense commit the horrible offense of outliving her youth right so we love young dead girls right uh we tragically mourn them when they are white Um, You know, it's a different experience. I think like culturally, the way that we treat um, the deaths of non-white people, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, non-blonde, non-beautiful, not, you know, whatever. Like there's so many things. Um, And there's also like in a story that is about, I mean, a long line of youthful dead slayers, right? Yeah. You know, that we've got that element in there as well. I think that, you know, I think you're onto something. I haven't thought it through entirely, but the, I'm, I'm feeling a real resonance as you're speaking that. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially because we're gearing up to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, we've we've seen some potential slayers killed already without knowing what that means. Yeah. But also mm-hmm. we're gearing up to meet our potentials. Right. Like we're Mm going to have all of these young girls who are special. Like that's something we hear about Cassie at the very end. Buffy says she was special and I failed her. So this idea of specialness and like what it means to be special in the context of we're about to talk about all of Mm -hmm. these potentials. And we yeah. see Amanda too for the first time in this episode. Oh, I Amanda! I was know, so delighted I when her. Amanda showed up. But that idea about like, I don't know, like whose whose death is tragic and whose death is not is tragic and beautiful though. Like we really love the death of a young girl. Right. You know, we love the death of a young girl. There is something about that um, that culturally you know, we kind of dig it. And I, you know, and I I think there's something about, um, you know, she can never outlive her youth and beauty. And that, that there's something about killing her young that preserves her two most valuable traits, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I just that there's something about well, that you, that, you that can't hits win. a bell for me. You know, you can't mm-hmm. win either way. Like if you're extra, yeah. <laughs> if you are a young cis white girl, it's yep. tragic. It's the most tragic if you die, but it's also the most tragic if you're ever not a young, beautiful, beautiful quote, I'm putting the biggest, white girl. Yeah, I'm like putting the biggest yes. air quotes around that ever. Yeah. 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 Well, she was special. She was special. right. She was special and I failed her. Had she been ordinary fucker, um, but she was special and I failed her. So now I have to be sad. Like there there is something about that that is like I think that there is is a textual dive to go into there that I am clearly, clearly unprepared to do. But off the top of my head for what that's worth, um, I see a resonance in this, like a deep resonance in this and in the way that the story of the slayers is generally told. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah, there's, there's the fascination with the young dead girl. Um, 
it's 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 disturbing on a lot of levels. Um, but since I'm not prepared to talk about that, I'm just going to move on if that's okay uh, <laughs> before I say something unbelievably stupid and unsupported by the text because I haven't done my research. Um, so one of the things I like about what we're doing here is kind of bringing up this philosophical question of like once again, you know, going around this mulberry bush because our stories love to play with this. Um, you know, the, the dance around destiny. What is destiny? What is going to happen no matter what what is free will what is what is our um the effect of our will on the universe at large all of that um and when you get into future knowledge be it like you know, mystical precognition like we have here or some time travel kind of a thing. We get into the philosophy of destiny versus free will. And here we have Cassie being all death poet because she knew she was going to die. But then Peter says he chose her because she was all death poet. So what came first? You know, the death poet or the egg? Like, I, you know, so is that something where because it is destined, it happened? It happened because it was destined or, well, you know, like how, yeah. how that works? Well, here's the you know? thing. I mean, all living things die. Like that's part mm-hmm. of this. This is another thing that I find so fascinating about the, the discourse around death in this episode in particular yeah. is like Cassie knows that she's going to die on Friday. She doesn't know. Yeah. She doesn't know how. She doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. She doesn't want to die, but mm-hmm. she knows she's going to die on Friday. Well, right. we're all going to die. It might be Friday. <laughs> like, we don't know. You know what it I mean? It might like, be. It's not. Yeah. Like, the fact that that you or I or anyone we know is going to die should not be a surprise or a shock to us. So it's this, right. like, it's the specificity that is shocking and disturbing. Yes. We mm-hmm. all know we're going to die. And I think some people mm-hmm. are more cognizant of that than others for whatever reason. Yeah. For Cassie, it's because mm-hmm. she has this precognition. She, she knows yeah. things and she doesn't know how she knows things. Um, side note, I like that Cassie seems to become more psychic the closer she gets to the end of her life. Yeah. And maybe mm-hmm. it's just that she shares more. Because she yeah. knows she's mm-hmm. running out of time. She tells everyone mm-hmm. she it's like the it's almost like the the filter comes off and she just starts telling everybody everything because it yeah. doesn't because what the hell? Yeah. Right. Because she yeah. is she knows deeply that mm-hmm. she's running out of time. Um so Cassie was gonna die anyway. She's she is reflecting on her death because that's what she needs to do to process it to make she is clearly in her in her writing trying to make some sort of peace with the Mm -hmm. reality of a death that she is not ready for but she knows beyond a shadow of a doubt is coming um peter says he chose her because no one would miss her if she died i think i think that's true I mean, mm-hmm. it's not because she doesn't know how she's going to die. I mean, maybe if we wanted to do like an alternate timeline story, maybe there is a version of Cassie's death in which it's, you know, Peter sacrifices her to the demon and kills her. I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, and maybe that's why she doesn't know, because it's just that she's going to die, because there are three things that are going to kill her, right? Mm-hmm. It's either going to be Peter or it's going to be um, the uh, the booby trap, mm-hmm. the arrow that comes to trade her face. And when those fail, it's her heart. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was going to be one of those things. So no matter what, she was going to die mm-hmm. that night. Or she could have been you know, hit by a time. car or she could have gotten, or it, you know, could like, have been, yeah. there are a million things that could have happened. You could rush and doll your way through this and have a lot of yes. fun. <laughs> oh, oh, that would be fun right? to talk about. Anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The, so. Like the way the episode sets it up as this like. Here are all of these opportunities for Cassie to die. And then she, her heart stops and she collapses and that's Mm -hmm. it. Um, But I don't know. I don't, I guess I don't read it as a like chicken and egg thing because we're all going to die. And Cassie just knows closer to the rest of us Mm -hmm. when. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I mean. When when the destiny thing, see, I love a fate story or a destiny story, but mm-hmm. when it's something like death, that doesn't work for me because 
we're all going to die. Because <laughs> we're all going to die. But the win of it, I think, is yeah. a question, you know, yeah, and the fact sure. that it's going to happen very soon isn't just that she's going to die. I mean, we all have an expiration date, you know, but like that she is going to die now, I think, is really and, and so tragic. Young girl, blah, blah, blah. See above what we said. Right. right? Um, so. So, yeah, I think that that's kind of where where the big question is, you know, it's that it's it's an untimely death. Sure. I mean, yeah. or yeah. is it? <laughs> or is it? Is it the timeliest of deaths because it's supposed to happen and it's predestined and nothing we do matters, but everything matters. Right. If nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. Right. There I mean, we go. We're back again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, here we go. Here, you know, here we go again. Right. If if yeah. nothing we do matters, all that matters is what we do. You can't you can't stop all of the harm in the world, um, but you mm-hmm. can you can influence how people feel, you know, you can't take somebody's mm-hmm. pain away, but you can, yeah. you have some control over the conditions that you create mm-hmm. while you are with them. Um, right. Which is the thing that irks me about this episode, because I feel like that's <laughs> where that I feel like that's, yeah. that's where the, the show fails Cassie. Except for Dawn, mm-hmm. a little bit. I, I, Except for Dawn. I think that Dawn at the end. Yeah. I feel like that's very close. I kind of like that. All right. So um, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the reflections that I'm seeing here, which is another reason why I really like this episode, is that there feels like a, a real deliberateness to the stuff that's happening here. Um, we have this vampire lady in the opening, right? You know, and I mean, let's let's be clear. The vampire default on Buffy is men under 40, usually white men under 40. Yep. And any deviation from this standard is deliberate. It's usually for a reason. Like when we had Sunday heading the vampires at the beginning of uh, of season four in The Freshman. Um, but here we have something I don't know that we've ever seen before, like an older woman, mm-hmm. right, as a vampire. It's really unusual. And so that kind of caught my attention. Um, and later in the season, we see Spike killing people and burying them in the basement of a house that he said belonged to a woman. I think that's this lady. I think Spike <laughs> killed this lady. And then he was there in the basement. Don't hurt the girl. I'm a bad man. You know? Um, yeah. Ooh, I think more. I think Spike, I, like I think this is the lady <laughs> that Spike kills later in the season. Um, also, we've got this like weird resonance with Reptile Boy right? of all things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, in Reptile Boy, we had a group of privileged young men sacrificing young girls to a demon in return for what? Infinite wealth and power, right? And in the end, this guy says, Where's my infinite wealth? Right. Um, and interesting enough, in that episode, the girl they were going going to sacrifice was named Callie. Oh, boy. And this week we have Cassie, right? So it feels like we've just kind of scratched off some of the serial numbers and, you know, and and brought that that idea back. Um, And I find that really interesting that even when a demon is killed and the boys are all put to jail and they lose all of their wealth and power, some patriarchal ideas will just never die. Yeah. Right? You know, I mean... Uh, Don't you ever just want to, like, put on cloaks with your friends and, like, carry giant candles? I mean, isn't that a thing? And that... murder a young girl right? for like, infinite wealth and power? Like, yeah. Come on. Boys and will be coins. boys, is what I'm saying. Boys will be boys. But, they yeah. will sacrifice girls. And that's another thing. We're talking about the beauty of the young, dead, beautiful girl, right? The the oh, sacrificing yeah. a virgin stuff, right? All of that. Gotta, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Way outside of my area of expertise, but very, very interesting. But I mean, I, I, mean, um, I don't yeah. think it's super far outside of your area of expertise because <laughs> themes, Lonnie, themes. Because like, themes, because, because stories in which themes. young girls die all the time, yeah. right? Um, oh, my and, God. Uh, yeah. yeah. And we mine that tragedy, but we kind of love it, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, culturally, we kind of love nothing more than a dead girl. I find that interesting. Speaking of dead girls, this also references Prophecy Girl, right? Um, A 16-year-old girl, you know, and let's quote, beautiful, white, 
blonde, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, with special gifts is going to die. And Buffy is trying to stop it because she sees herself in Cassie. She remembers that. And we have these speeches from both of them. I'm going to play both of them. Jack is going to edit them beautifully for us. Uh, Our new editor, Jack Cram. Everybody say hi to Jack um, because he's awesome. Uh, He's going to edit these together for us. Everyone's cheering. Everyone's applauding. Yes. I want to see if Jack actually edits applause under there, because that would be awesome. Um, All right. So anyway, here is Buffy's speech and followed by Cassie's speech. So that's it, huh? I remember the drill. One slayer dies, next one's called. Wonder who she is. Will you train her? Or will they send someone else? Buffy, uh... Does say how he's going to kill me? Do you think it'll hurt? Are you even going to tell me? I was hoping that I wouldn't have to, that there was some way around it. I... I've got a way around it. I quit. It's not that simple. I'm making it that simple. I quit. I resign. I, I'm fired. You can find someone else to stop the master from taking over. I'm not sure that anyone else can. All the, the signs indicate... Signs? Read me the signs! Tell me my fortune! You're so useful sitting here with all of your books. You're really a lot of help. I know this is hard. What do you know about this? You're never gonna die. You think I want anything to happen to you, huh? Do you think I could stand it? We just gotta figure out a way. I already did. I quit, remember? Pay attention. Buffy, if the master rises... I don't care! Giles, I'm 16 years old. I don't want to die. You think I want this? You think I don't care? Believe me, I want to be here, do things. I want to graduate from high school, and I want to go to the stupid winter formal. I have this friend, and it would be fun to go with him. (laughs) It's to dance and hear lame music, to wear a silly dress and laugh and stuff. I'd like to go. There's a lot of stuff I'd like to do. I'd love to ice skate at Rockefeller Center. And I'd love to see my cousins grow up and see how they turn out, because they're really mean, and I think they're going to be fat. I'd love to backpack across the country or, I don't know, fall in love. But I won't. (laughs) I just never will. So we we have Buffy's speech in Prophecy Girl, which is the moment, I think, for most of us, you know, because season one of Buffy is, you know, an uneven road, right, upon which to ride. And you get to this moment in Prophecy Girl, and I think that that is where it turns. It turns for me. That's when I start being, like, all about this show, because we have this moment where we are with Buffy. Like, we are in her experience. We are in her POV. Mm -hmm. Um, And she is yelling at Giles, you are so useless with your books. She's throwing things at him. I'm 16 years old. I don't want to die. She wants to go to the dance, right, with the boy and maybe fall in love, which we see reflected in Cassie's speech. We will, of course... Ignore, I already took a shot at it at the beginning, the fat phobia in Cassie's speech. So we'll go ahead and let that go for now and just reflect these two on each other. So we have the first one from Buffy's POV, where we are existing with her. I mean, a little bit with Giles, a little bit with Angel, but it's mostly about Buffy. Cassie's speech is from Buffy's perspective as well, right? Buffy seeing herself in Cassie Mm -hmm. and Cassie talking about all the things that she's going to miss out on. Um, But we're taking time to, you know, make it, it's tragic, but it's also, we're joking a little bit when she talks about her cousins and we get into the fat phobia, you know, joke and whatever. Um, And we're not living that tragedy in Cassie's moment the same way that we are in Buffy's because we are we are with Buffy and we are watching Cassie. Um, and I find it really interesting the way they are both Buffy, but mm-hmm. from different perspectives. And so when Buffy's trying to save Cassie, I think Buffy is really trying to save herself at yep. 16. Oh, yeah. Right. And I love that reflection. Oh, yeah. I just wish that that were a little bit more... I don't know, dialed up because Mm -hmm. I think I think I would feel less frustration with Buffy in this episode 
if we got just yeah. even the tiniest little bit more of a teeny tiny hint that Buffy is projecting. That this is a deliberate and Buffy is project. Like, OK, yeah. first of all, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think I think if the writer knew that they were reflecting that, that they would have done more with it. I really do, because that's the kind of that's just so beautiful, you know, yeah. um, at the same time, you know, death of the author, whether the writer intended it or not. It, I see it. If I see it, it's there, yeah. you know, power of power of the reader. Right. You yeah. Know? Um, and uh, and so I read that there and I find it really, really interesting. And I think that I think that on some level. As everybody who writes for the show or who watches the show lives the show, right, to a certain extent oh, yeah. that, that, you know, that anybody who wrote that may not have consciously realized they were doing. I think they would have dialed it up had they realized it. But I think that they were absolutely doing that as a reflection of this incredibly powerful moment, Prophecy Girl, which is when most people who fall in love with Buffy get really into the show is that powerful moment. Yeah. And it's, um, and it's so yeah. powerful because it's highly specific to Buffy. Yes. And I think mm-hmm. that this this relationship between Buffy and Cassie is powerful and and potentially even more powerful, could have been more powerful because mm-hmm. it's so highly specific to Cassie. Cassie's experience mm-hmm. is so highly specific to Cassie. Um, but I love, I do love that both of them are high school girls who just want to go to a dance and don't want to die and they don't get a choice in the matter and that they don't they don't yeah but here's something that's kind of interesting though the Buffy that we have now right that is looking at Cassie and so desperate to save her knows what it's like to die and has for quite some time found it preferable to existing here so that Buffy, it seems to me, would not have the fear of death the way that we see it in this episode and would maybe have a more philosophical approach. It is tragic for a 16-year-old girl who doesn't want to die to die. Yeah. It is it is tragic it's, for anybody. I mean, it's, it's tragic, tragic to lose a life in any circumstance. Yeah, anyone who's yeah not and ready. even, you know, yeah, anyone who's not, yeah, exactly, you know. So um so I mean, that's tragic and and the fact that Cassie doesn't want to die being something that makes Buffy uh, work harder for it, you know, and really want to prevent it because she knows that Cassie doesn't want to die. But for a big chunk of this, she thinks Cassie wants to die, you know. Um, so I don't know. Like, it's it's interesting that that with this perspective, we see Buffy like kind of responding to her 16 year old self rather than as a person who has died not once but twice. Yeah. Right. Um, and found the experience not terrible the second time um, yeah. was, was happy. She was in heaven, you know. But the experience of being buried <laughs> was traumatic. So that, oh, like, that is like there's more. Yeah. See, here's another thing. Like there's more here mm-hmm. than there is here. Right. Because Buffy, Buffy yeah. is possibly more intimate with death than any of us can ever really hope to Mm -hmm. be in the sense of having died and lived to tell the tale um but also with the the physicality of death is that even correct Mm -hmm. that she we spent a little bit of time when it happened with the trauma of having to climb Mm -hmm. out of her own grave but right then we just kind of leave that there i think because that again is so in the taboo space of Mm -hmm death and dying and mm-hmm. what it means to be buried to die and be buried yeah. i mean talk about things we don't talk about but again oh, yeah. buffy really does have intimate knowledge not just of being 16 and knowing you're destined to die and not wanting to die um mm-hmm. not you know but but of the experience of dying and what that mm-hmm. means and also of having that prophetic knowledge mm-hmm. i've kind of i've complained about a little bit before about how buffy's sort of precognition comes and goes as we need it oh yes but, exactly but buffy again is in such a unique position to 
really empathize with Cassie and listen to her and believe her in mm-hmm. ways that she doesn't. And that's where I get frustrated because Cassie, yeah. Buffy seems to believe that Cassie wants to die, even though Cassie doesn't present when she when she's sitting across from Buffy again, really nicely mirrored there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Buffy's now on the other side of the, the high school experience. Yeah. She mm-hmm. literally goes back to high school to mirror high school students. Anyway, Cassie doesn't present as someone who wants to die. She's mm-hmm. she and I think she says in that first interaction, you know, that she's not going to hurt herself. And she yeah. is is kind of tickled by the suggestion that she would because she very much mm-hmm. wants to live. And she strikes me. Now, I know she's a fictional character, but she strikes mm-hmm. me very much as a person who wants to live and not someone yeah. who is in danger of harming themselves. So the mm-hmm. the Buffy's assumption that Cassie is fixated on death because she wants to die is a misstep, I think, from yeah. a, from a mm-hmm. characterization standpoint and from a writing standpoint. And I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely I agree with you. I think that there's, you know, we're we're, we're missing a lot here. We're missing a lot of really good opportunities. Um, one of the things, though, that I, I like at the end, like when when Dawn says you tried, right, yeah. you know, um, and you didn't fail, you tried. And it, it uh, brings back, of course, for me, the the speech we get from Spike in Touched, where he says, I love what you are. I love how you try. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, Um And I think that throughout the series, Buffy has always been about the power of the slayer, you know, the win, the success, the vampire slain, the demon dealt with. Everyone that can hurt anyone is dust eventually, either literally or figuratively. Um, But here, you know, someone dies on Buffy's watch, somebody she actually cares about as opposed to like the meaningless victims that we have over kind of in the side in our collateral damage, you know, bucket. Um, (laughs) So this person dies on Buffy's watch, even though Buffy tried, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And she has to deal with what she sees as a real failure. Um, But instead of like, you know, having her focus on the failure, she goes back and tries again. Um, And there's something in that that just speaks to me like it's adulthood. You Mm -hmm. try, you fail, you try again. If nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. So choose what you're going to do and don't be worried about controlling the outcome. The outcome is not under your control. Uh, Do what you do with the best of intent. Learn from it. Try again and do better the next time out. But if your win state is to learn from the experience, apply what you've learned and do your best, then that makes sense. That is, as those of you who have been listening to the current season of Big Strong Yes may appreciate, an achievable goal. You can do the next so right thing. So I actually thing. like that. Yeah, you can do the next I right like thing. That, Buffy. Get up the and next go right to work thing. the next morning, mm-hmm. which is, mm-hmm. I mean, god damn, that's Buffy in adult space, if anything is. You spend yeah. all, I mean, I like spend it. spend a good chunk of time trying to help in the way that you know how to help and it doesn't quote unquote work. <laughs> and then yes. you got to go to work in the morning. <laughs> it's like, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's adulthood yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah, that is absolutely adulthood. And that's honestly, I love ending on that note. That is, I think, and again, like to me, how how a story ends will tell you what it means. Right. And so the fact that we have that moment where you go back and you keep trying because all you do, all that matters is what you do. Like, I love that, you know, so mm-hmm. I, I really do. I appreciate this episode, um, even though I absolutely agree with you on the stumbles in the end, I feel like it lands on its feet. Um, and speaking of being on your feet, oh, my God, Dawn. Should Dawn get MVP for this episode or what? I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. Especially because she's, uh, God, her <laughs> her interaction with Buffy where she comes to see Buffy at the counseling desk and is just oh, staring her down it. about having borrowed Dawn's clothes without asking. I mm-hmm. adore. But then she's so on it. She's, she befriends Cassie and she does it Mm -hmm. at first because Buffy tells her to but then she really does she really goes for it and it's great and then Dawn in full (laughs) detective mode oh I love it so much it's Mike it's this guy I know and you know what 
She's like uh-huh. good guess, actually. Yeah. Unfortunately. If you're gonna take a wild swipe without any evidence, I mean, that's the one, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I love that. I love I'm liking Mike for the perp, you know, yeah. and she's really playing in you know, we saw her do this a bit last week when she was really excited about the work and putting up the demons and like figuring everything out. Um, she is enthusiastic, she is in it, you know, to do what she can. Um, and I absolutely love all of that from her. I also really like the fact that in the end, you know, Mike was like, eh, if Cassie doesn't want to go with me, I'm going to respect her wishes, yeah. not decide that it's about me, yeah. and maybe ask Dawn. You know, yeah. like, I actually really liked that we had that from Mike instead of rubber stamping this idea that men are these fragile, you know, weak uh, characters who cannot possibly stomach a rejection and will instantly try to kill any woman who does um i like that we have a representation from you know a man who's like hey she doesn't i'm gonna respect how she feels and move on you know and i I really i like that um so but dawn is is my favorite especially at the end when again you know she makes the statement that i feel sets the episode on its feet again i think is is really really you listened and you tried Um, it's the best Mm -hmm. that is the best which is the best thing you can do yep yeah yep yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, so we have a little bit of Willow here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's kind of an aside. It doesn't really fit into the rest of the episode. Um, but going to visit Tara's grave, um, wedged in here, a little obligatory, um, instead of making it a thing, I felt like it could have been a thing. And then when I was thinking about it last week, in same time, same place, when she was alone, if she went to Tara's grave then, how Ooh. much would your heart have been ripped out and oh, stomped on God. the floor? Oh, God. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Oh, no. If she shows up at the, oh, she shows up at the airport and no one's there and she goes home and knows no one's there. And then she goes to Tara's grave. I can't. That's mean. How dare you? Oh, yeah. I know. (laughs) How dare you, Lonnie? I am like retroactively upset about something that didn't happen last week. Like, no. This is the purpose of story is to make you feel a thing. And I would have felt a thing, you know. Come on. I mean, I felt it in this episode anyway. I always cry when she's at Tara's grave. But had she been thinking that her friends had abandoned her and then goes to Tara's grave, the grave where Tara was buried without her, where there was a ceremony and a funeral without her. Oh, Oh my God. God. Yeah. Oh, my God. What that would have done. Talk about... Jesus, talk about the erasure of death, right? Because mm-hmm. Tara, Tara, let's let's <laughs> let's do that traumatic story from Willow's point of view for a second. So <laughs> Tara is shot mm-hmm. in, you know, dies there with Willow. Willow is so you know, Willow yells at a god like you do. And yes, then as you do. Like you do. I mean, I mean you know, mm-hmm. I I would be willing to wager that many folks who have endured a tragic loss have yelled at God about that. Uh, but yeah. Willow, then Willow leaves. Willow just leaves. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has to, right? Because she's got yeah. she's got big magic stuff to do. Um, mm-hmm. But that's the last she sees Tara. Yeah. Because after but that, Dawn comes in and yeah. sits with Tara. Yeah. But that that moment when Willow transforms magically transforms Mm -hmm. through the power of really huge feelings that's her last moment with tara she doesn't get to attend the funeral she is not there for whatever you know whatever memorial there might have been she's gone she's in england that's she wasn't there up Man, I know. <laughs> and then if she goes to Tara's grave thinking that her friends have abandoned her, Again, that's I mean, just oh so my mean. god, that is so mean. It- <laughs> All right, I'll stop talking about it. Here, let me let me move on to something that's very cute. So, did you know that the first recorded use of Google as a verb was in this episode and it was Willow? Hot damn. Have you googled her? Hot. Yeah. Hot damn. I love that so much. Mm-hmm. I, so was Google a little itty bitty baby search engine when this was new or was that joke a little bit? No, I think it was a little was itty a bitty little search baby... engine at that oh, point. We're... I think some people were still using Alta Vista at that I point. I was yeah. asking Jeeves. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was asking <laughs> Jeeves. 
You know what? On Netscape Navigator, were you? Uh, yes. AOL, excuse me. <laughs> America Online with a little CD. Yes. That you got a little CD. Yes. Yeah. Remember mm-hmm. that CD that you got every single month, like freaking clockwork? <laughs> yes. Those CDs are now choking our oceans. But let's go on to talk about Spike as a bad man because we're all going to die. So let's just <laughs> keep going. Great. Um All that matters is what we do, baby. All that matters is what we do. (laughs) Uh, Spike is a bad man. Okay, I love Spike in this episode. I love when Buffy asks if there's evil in the basement. He says yes, and he means him. I mean, I love it. He's I hurt the girl. And of course, if you think about that, the first is now using him to murder people and that the lady and the thing was murdered by Spike. That gives it a whole other layer of meaning. Um, but I have to say like this moment when he's, t- when he's talking about what he did to Buffy and how he hurt her, you know, mm-hmm. um, ever since we had Anya from Hallowed Ground Media, um, talk about this in our episode on seeing red, I cannot get over how meaningful it is to see someone be truly sorry and repentant for this kind of act. Uh, because my personal experience with that is excuses and defensiveness and how it was, you know, the victim's fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I kind of, I, I really do appreciate that. I feel that now. I think I've always felt that. I just never consciously realized it. And now Anya brought that up. And I, now I I can't unsee it. And I really kind of love it. Um, I love that he feels terrible about what he did to Buffy. Um, you know, and here's a vampire who stopped killing and eating people. And I'm not talking about, like, now that he has a soul. I'm talking about, like, in season four, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the pain from his chip is so debilitating. And yet... When it comes to saving Cassie, a girl he does not even know, he pushes through long enough to put that kid down, Mm -hmm. right? Even though it's just for a bit, like, that is huge. And so I see Spike's relationship to violence changing. It used to be all one thing for him, like violence, death, love, sex, hate, all of it wrapped up together. And now we see him willingly paying the price for the violence he inflicts with his own pain. Um... And I kind of love it. And like, he doesn't know Cassie. Cassie isn't Buffy. But I think to Spike, Buffy is every girl, you Mm. know, and she's the only girl, you know, and I think that he sees he sees Buffy in Cassie as well, you know, Um, and I love that moment, too, where Cassie just looks at him and says, she'll tell you someday she'll tell you. And of course, Spike's complete confusion at that is wonderful. And when Buffy does tell him at the end of the series, he doesn't allow it, which is always a sad note for me, but we'll talk about it when we get to Chosen. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I love this whole thing. All of Spike in this episode, I absolutely love. Well, and I love when he says, I hurt the girl. It's, yeah. it's great because hurt could be, that could be past, present, or future tense, right? Yeah. I hurt the girl mm-hmm. in the past. I hurt unless mm-hmm. I hurt the girl. Yeah, I hurt the girl currently. Or mm-hmm. I hurt the girl as in, you know, what will happen. So I mm-hmm. I love that in the in the moment for a split second, we're not clear on who is he talking about? When is he talking mm-hmm. about? And I like the idea that Cassie is a reflection of Buffy for Spike as well. Right. I like that. There's something really, really deep, I think, to be explored with Cassie as Buffy. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think your observation about Spike plays into that as well. I think if we wanted to do a deep dive about that mirroring, we absolutely could. But. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> we've, al- <laughs> we've already we've already done all of the things with this episode. We have done all of the things. So, you know what? Now it is time for us to have this wonderful discussion. Noel, tell me, what was your favorite part of help? OK, it's kind of goofy, but it's Cassie flirting yeah. with Mike over the idea of designing a tattoo. <laughs> oh, there are so many layers to this little Mm -hmm. scene moment performance wise she's both sad Mm -hmm. about not getting to go to the dance but also enjoying this funny moment with her friend Mm -hmm. over something highly specific which is always really fun and relatable um 
You know, they've had this conversation before. They've clearly discussed her drawing something for him in the past. And they settle on a sexy mm-hmm. hula girl who is also a snake, um, <laughs> which is just, I don't know. It's so charming. But then Cassie refers to herself as a snake in her poetry as well. So mm-hmm. snakes, symbolic of death and rebirth. I just dig it. I dig it. It's yeah. kind of silly, but it it's that specificity for a character that I think makes them mm-hmm. feel so real and genuine. And I yeah. I just love everything about that scene. What about you? I think it's What's awesome. your favorite yeah, part? Yeah, I, I really like that too. I, I mean, Dawn, you know, just all the Dawn. I love her. I love her liking Mike for the perp. Like yes. that is adorable. Um, I love her enthusiasm. I love her wisdom, being able to be in sad being able to be sad over Cassie's death and yet still grateful that she got to be her friend. Um, I love that she is the the one who delivers the episode, you know, back to its feet at the end. Yeah. Um, I, I love all of it. Dawn is fabulous. And I just, the more I see the show, the more I love her. All right. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter, follow at Chipperish and use the hashtag still pretty. Patreon Chipperish supporters are getting exclusive content like Let's Watch Roulette, where Lonnie and Ian Martin from Passion of the Nerd react to a randomly chosen movie or TV show for $5 and up supporters. Well, $10 and up supporters get to attend show recordings live. And we've got a new stretch goal. Once we hit 500 subscribers, we'll unlock the monthly Chip Chat, where Lonnie will host a (laughs) private one-hour Zoom call open to every supporter to talk about whatever. So if you haven't pledged your support yet, now's the time. Go to patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. Speaking of supporters, this episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to Abigail, Alice, Christina, Erica, Jonathan, Kevin, Kristen, Rose, Shelly, Stephania, and Stephanie. And this week's special message for our power producers, you listened and you tried. We will be back next time with Selfless, the fifth episode of season seven. Until then, stay here and help me be quiet.